Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular's single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Welcome to Office Hours, where we sit down with the chief executives shaping the world and answer your most pressing questions about leadership, career, and life. I'm Mike Steib, and you and I get to spend the next half hour with my friend Anjali Sood, who at 34 years old became one of the youngest women in the world to IPO her company. Anjali has spent the last six years as the CEO of Vimeo, the video platform trusted by over 250 million creators, entrepreneurs, and companies. She's a World Economic Forum Young Global Leader, an Aspen Institute Henry Crown Fellow, and my colleague on the board of the leading social change platform, change.org. And though today's conversation will be focused on Anjali's path to Vimeo, I'm excited to share that she's recently announced that she'll be taking over as the CEO of Tubi, the leading ad-supported professional video on-demand service. For the many listeners of this show who aspire to have it all, an accelerated career, a wonderful family, an impact on the community, I think you're really going to enjoy this one. So with that, Anjali, my friend, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mike. I'm pumped to be doing this with you. Awesome. So as you know, uh, we take questions from the audience. We answer them together. Today, we've got questions from listeners who are wrestling with their career trajectory, fans of the creator economy, people who are balancing their ambitions and family. A lot of fun stuff. We're going to jump right into the first one, which is from Jessica in Palo Alto. She says... I'm a co-founder and run go-to-market for an early staff company that helps independent local retailers run their business more profitably. How did you get over the early hump and gain traction in the market? Thank you. Give everybody the headline on Vimeo. So this is Vimeo, and it wasn't always a SaaS company, and it was a big part of your sort of what you did with the company. So let's start there. Yeah, so I uh, joined Vimeo eight years ago. Um, when we were really sort of the indie ad-free video platform uh, competing with YouTube. And uh, I became CEO six years ago to really pivot the platform to be this B2B software offering. And the thesis was really just that 
the same way we all used and created and shared video in our personal lives on TikTok, uh, that we were all going to be also creating and sharing video at work. And that if you were a business, whether you were a marketer trying to reach your customers or you were trying to engage and train and communicate with your employees internally, you were going to start using video the same way that you use um, chat or email. Um, and so, you know, the question is relevant because while Vimeo is a platform at you know global scale, when I stepped in, we were in many ways building a totally new product and trying to get product market fit. Um, and we struggled with all of the things I'm, I'm sure many early stage founders struggle with. One, it's like, you know, getting just a great product and you have to start with an MVP and how you define MVP. Um, and then the signals that you get along the way from working with customers that allow you to then iterate on that product. And then I think, um, you know, probably the third challenge is like just getting really good at selling and marketing that product. And for me, I'd say there are a couple things that I learned from the experience. Um, one is that your best salesperson is you. Um, you know, when you get to to scale, that's when you're not selling anymore. But when you're early stage and you're trying to figure out product market fit, it's it's not only that you're more effective at selling, it's that it's an incredible source of information that will help you make better decisions about the overall strategy of how you iterate on the product from there. And there nothing beats talking to customers directly, deeply understanding their needs in an instinctual way, and figuring out how to make them happy. And so, you know, for me, that was one of the most impactful things is just getting in there with customers. That is a job you don't want to outsource when you're early on. Awesome. I want to go to the next one. This is from Felix in Austin. Hi, I'm an artist trying to build my reputation and sell more of my paintings online. As the CEOs of companies that use technology to support creators, can you suggest best practices I can employ to grow my practice? I really would think. What I find is that for most creators, the marketing and distribution is the hardest part because they, one, it's hard to do and it distracts from your time creating. And usually, you know, the skill sets to be like the most savvy marketer um, are not the ones that make you a beautiful storyteller or artist. And so interestingly, what my what I would say is you have to find a way to embrace that third pillar um, and find a repeatable strategy for how you're going to get audience and get content. And, you know, there's social media platforms, obviously. There's your own, you know, kind of uh, whether it's your own website or whatever you view as like your storefront. There's your network and your connections. But you know, you, it's your business, you know, even if you're an artist, it's still a business and you have to address and embrace that side. And I think there are plenty of platforms that are, you know, trying to help creators, you know, be, access audience. And Vimeo, we do this. We we have, you know, uh, relationships with all the social media platforms where we try and help you get your content natively on those platforms. Um, but but I, I still think you, you it just it's so easy to assume you make something great and like the audience will come and they won't. They That's won't. Right. And you have to find a way to push out that out there and embrace that part of your job is to market. Um, for a painter specifically, I know in the art world, uh, galleries are an indispensable part of the ecosystem. And so if you are and which is and I'm, I'm aware that not every artist is able to easily get a gallery. It's a it's a big step up 
in the art world, but a gallery has that expertise. They know collectors. They know how to connect you to the right folks, et cetera. Um, upstream and downstream of that, Anjali touched on social media, and it makes a big difference, especially because one of the things that makes people want to support creators is the creator story herself. And so when you someone can see not only your work, but your life on Instagram. I mean, I'm like, I'm friends with a bunch of artists, and it's because I discovered their work on Artsy. I acquired their work from the gallery. I follow the artist on Instagram, and then it goes full cycle. Like, I've, it was really fun for me when an artist was commenting on my family's Thanksgiving Day pictures because in the background was her painting that we love so much is over the dinner table. It's, it's a really cool full cycle, and social media makes that possible. So I, it's not always a natural act for, as you noted, for a creator to focus on that third pillar. But social media can be as simple as just being yourself and engaging with people, and that takes off too. So Felix, we wish you a lot of good luck with it. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, elevate your adventure by transforming your vehicle into a reliable Wi-Fi hotspot. Connect up to 10 devices up to 50 feet away from your vehicle, making it ideal for camping and road trips. Don't miss out on the fun. Embark on your next adventure today. Visit att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to check if you're eligible for a free trial. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Next question is more focused on careers. This is from Benjamin in Detroit. Hey, you each went from director middle management role to public company CEO in five years. I am a director right now and would love to be a CEO, but I don't see a path. How did you pull it off? Uh, well, first, Benjamin, I was born in Detroit, so lots of love. All um, right. But my best advice here is that you have to create your own path. And two things that if I look back at my journey that I think helped me do that. First, I remember coming to Vimeo as a director of middle management. And um, pretty soon after I joined, our, our CEO left. And there was sort of this vacuum because we were kind of like, well, I guess we're going to find a new CEO, but we don't really know. And we're not really sure what the strategy is. There's a vacuum. And I'll never forget, he said something on his last day to a group of us, which was his best advice was fill in the gaps, fill in the gaps. And I really took that to heart. And instead of just like waiting for a new CEO to come in and and to sort of staying in my lane and like doing my job, I just sort of thought, well, if I see a gap in the meantime, 
like, why don't I just try and fill it? It will be good for the company. It'll be a learning Mm -hmm. experience for me. I never thought of it as like, that's how I'm going to make my way to the C-suite. I honestly never even thought that was a remote chance of a possibility. But I was, I filled in a lot of gaps. And I think um, that's not because there was a role that was waiting for me. But in some ways, that became the thing that people saw me almost stepping up and acting like a CEO. And so it sort of enabled that to be a possibility for me, even though it wasn't a clear path. So that was really the first thing. Um, and then the second, my like number one piece of advice, I say this to anybody who has is ambitious and wants to move up in their career. It's like the more that you can frame your own aspirations and goals in the context of what's good for the business. Of the more it will unlock opportunity. I see it all the time now. It's like, I always say it's like, you know, if somebody comes to me from the Vimeo team, there's like two ways that you can have the same conversation. Like, I want to be promoted. Yeah. Like the first is like, I want, I want to have this learning opportunity. I want this. How can Vimeo give that to me? And then the other is, I think, I know that you, Anjali, are staying up late at night, worried about how we're going to grow faster while getting more profitable. I have an idea for how we might be able to do that. And I'll do the work. And I'd love to do the work. And I'd love, if it makes sense and, and we agree it's worth doing, that you give me a shot to try and lead it. And I promise you, and I'm sure Mike will agree with this, like if somebody, that second like conversation happens as a leader, you are going to bet on that person all day long. It's it's like all you want are people like that, and you will give them opportunities. And I did that, I think, probably not realizing I was doing it at Vimeo. And I do believe that it, it was because it was so for everything I wanted in my own career was so framed in like how we were going to help Vimeo be a better company and grow that enabled me to have this like step function change in my career. So the similarity I think I noticed between um, just our career paths, and I've seen it in a lot of other folks who've had um, good growth early in their careers. You're at IAC. It's a big empire. Vimeo was not the biggest part of it. I was at Google. AdWords was the most profitable, successful, wonderful product in the world. I didn't work on it. I worked on new businesses. I felt like there were plenty of talented people doing the big thing. And there's, you know, it's said disparagingly sometimes, oh, you're a big fish in a small pond. But sometimes you get to be the big fish because there's so much to eat. And I found at those formative stages in the career, starting with the smaller pond, even if it was at a bigger company, creates opportunities to learn, make mistakes, and stand out because you're not one of 400 people making something like AdWords a success. You're one of one making this new thing that other people hadn't been focused on a success. That's exactly my experience as well. Uh, Flying under the radar is a wonderful canvas for (laughs) experimentation and learning. And, you know, when you're in the highest stakes part of a business, people are going to take less chances on you and take less risks. That's right. But when it's like, you know, and I rem- I still remember, you know, when I, I, I was a marketer and I was like, I want to try this other thing as more B2B strategy. And we agreed, you know, uh, that, they, that they would give me a small team in a year to just kind of on the side, like a, almost like a little incubator within Vimeo to try try to work on it. And and it was the first time in my career that I had led engineering and product and customer support. I had no business 
leading those teams. And if I had said, hey, I need this, I need to do that at like the largest part of the business, no one was going to give me that opportunity. But this was sort of like, okay, like what's the worst that happens? Like either she and the team fail or maybe they surprise us. And it was a wonderful way to to grow. And I never, I still to this day, I've had a lot of experiences um, since I felt like I learned the most in that year. So for all the MBAs out there choosing between their offer at Amazon and their offer at Salesforce and their offer at Microsoft, uh, Vimeo and Artsy are hiring. <laughs> Sometimes you want to go small to go big. Yeah. There are moments in your career where it really helps. All right. Next one is from Margaret in Tulsa. A constant topic among my peers in HR is the challenge of managing Gen Z and millennials. Can you talk about what has worked for you? Anjali, you're a millennial. Am I a millennial? Yes, you, I am. Oh, I'll, you fun. must be. Yes, you I must am. Be. I, yes, you I'm... must be a millennial. I just missed it. I'm X, <laughs> the great generation. We're a generation gen, apart. Gen X. You and I are. <laughs> you and I are a generation apart by by probably a matter of months. Um, what's your view on this? So, Margaret, I think a lot about this. Um, I've actually written about it because I think it's so important to um, acknowledge that the workforce is changing and that we can't apply traditional or in some ways antiquated um, frameworks to try and get the best work and impact out of the future teams and how they work. Um, and, And I do believe there are differences in how Gen Z is motivated, how they learn, um, and how companies can get the best work out of of that generation. I I also think there's similar a lot more similarities <laughs> across generations. Like at the end of the day, we all spend a lot of our lives at work. We want to feel valued. We want to feel that there's a purpose, there's a why behind what we do, and we want to feel like the work we're doing has an impact. Um, And those, I think, are universal. What I see in the differences is how we communicate and talk about those things and how they show up for the younger generations. And for me, there's probably two things that I've really noticed or recognized over the years. The first is that um, with the younger generations, at least at the Vimeo workforce, like they don't want to be they don't really um, like to follow authority or hierarchy just for the sake of those things. So they don't want to just do something because someone told them to. They want to do something because they understand why and they understand why it matters. And we have this sort of... Yo, me too. Right, yeah. I mean, as as we all <laughs> ought to, right? That's a reasonable ask. It's a very reasonable ask. And so I would say like we, we, like we really talk about starting with why, not what, in all of our communications at the company. And I, what I found is actually, you know, I'm someone who's had to navigate difficult scenarios of the last couple years. We've had layoffs, we've had cost cutting, we've been in the public markets. And that means you have to make hard decisions. And what I found, especially with the younger generation, is like when you are really transparent and you provide context around why you're making a decision, even if people don't like the, the decision, even if they don't agree with the decision, they're much more likely to embrace it and move forward if they feel like they're you're giving them the same context and you're including them in the why. And so for me, that's been a pretty marked difference from how I think in the if you think about like how we were we've communicated in the past, it, it's very different. And the other one that I think is important is I think the younger generation really wants to feel like their leaders are human and can be trusted. 
And um, and maybe this is like not just in corporate America, but also po- in political leaders. I don't know what it is, but what I'm finding is like there's a healthy skepticism for anything that comes from leaders that feels scripted or mm-hmm. rehearsed or corporate. It creates this like us versus them dynamic. And the most effective leadership styles that I have seen are the ones where leaders just show up as themselves. They're real. They're vulnerable. Sometimes they show their flaws. They're not perfect. That's right. Um, but they, they're just real. And what I have found is that has been more motivating for people in hard times. Because at the end of the day, you know, you always hear this, that, like, you know, great people, they don't leave a company, they leave their manager. And leaders are the ultimate managers, like we're the managers. And so we have to be trusted. And the way you earn trust today is is very different, I think, than, you know, 20 years ago and, and or 40 years ago in our parents' generation. Margaret, I would know Gen Z and millennials are now like half the workforce. And so this is no longer like a small minority of our employees we have to figure out how to navigate. It's it's the team. And I'd also note it's worldwide hundreds of millions of people. And so my philosophy on this is we don't actually have to shape our values or our culture to meet an entire generation of hundreds of millions of people. We have to pick the ones who are a match for our values and our culture. And so, you know, whether you're a boomer or a millennial or a Gen Z, there's certain kinds of people I'm looking for and they're hustlers and they're winners and they lead with openness and they are accountable to their outcomes and they're good to their teammates. Find me them in any generation and then sure, one generation on average may be different than another generation on average, but the people we're looking for lock into the culture and the values that we have and they're an awful lot of fun to work with. Anja, you mentioned some of the challenges of being a public company. This is from Anson in New York. It is my dream to take a company public someday. What size does the company have to be? What is the process like? And what does it look like once you are public? Disabuse everyone of how wonderful it is. I was going to say, be careful what you wish for. (laughs) Um, Look, I'll tell you honestly, I, I, I sort of knew this when we when we became public, but I feel it even more now, which is. Being going public is not an end of it in and of itself. It's not a goal. It's just a funding mechanism. It's a way to access the public markets to raise capital so that you can grow. And there are companies that reach a size or in a stage in an industry or a stage in their growth where the public markets are the right way for them to access capital, in which case, to me, that is the right reason to go public. Right. Everything else. Everything is a trade-off. So, um, you know, I look back for Vimeo, I actually think, despite how challenging it has been, there have been great positives. I think we've been, you know, the, the sort of rigor and discipline that gets forced on you in the public markets can make you a stronger company. It also comes with a whole series of costs. And I don't mean just like your time and effort and attention, which I mean money. Money. I mean millions of dollars to stand up whole functions, um, to spend a lot more time on on like SEC and legal. And everything is a trade-off. That's less time you're spending on the product and it's less time you're spending on your customers. So you you have to think of it as a choice. And and I would recommend thinking about it through the lens, less of like what stage, like how big do I have to be? And more about like, what is the best way for my company to be successful in achieving our mission? And do we need 
a certain amount of capital to do that? And are the public markets the right way? And am I willing to incur the cost of time and money um, and effort to to make that happen? And I think... um, I think those those are the right reasons to become a public company. I will say for for us, I I also think once you are a public company, um, it is the CEO's job to make sure that you're still focusing your your time and your team's time appropriately on the things that really matter that your shareholders should really want you to spend time on which is yeah. your product and serving your customers um and you know thinking long term and not getting too like short term oriented because of the cycle of earnings and you know it's it's it definitely takes i think a whole another level of discipline to really kind of stay focused on the things that ultimately matter um, I'll mention we we looked at the data. It was something like over the last ten years, um, some number of thousands of private company exits, and twenty percent of them were IPOs, and eighty percent were exits to strategics or to new private equity. And so I would echo what Anjali said, which is an IPO is a way to raise money and it's a way to create liquidity. It's not the only one. And I raise that because you know I had a I briefly had a colleague when I started at Artsy who kept saying, you know, investors want, we should do this because investors want to see this. We should, it's kind of fundraising engineering or exit engineering. And I always said, investors want to see a great company. And so let's build a great company. And one of these will be our byproduct and it'll be fine. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, elevate your adventure by transforming your vehicle into a reliable Wi-Fi hotspot. Connect up to 10 devices up to 50 feet away from your vehicle, making it ideal for camping and road trips. Don't miss out on the fun. Embark on your next adventure today. Visit att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to check if you're eligible for a free trial. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This next one's from Amanda. It's a good one. This is a really tough market for tech companies right now. Valuations are down. Capital is scarce. There have been a lot of layoffs and bankruptcies. How have you handled setbacks in your career, whether for your company or for you personally? You know, Amanda, we do a real disservice to people who are on their way up in their careers uh, when we write our resumes because here's what's left out. Been passed over for a job a bunch of times, been fired, had fights with the board, had a manager who didn't like me, cried in my office, thought I couldn't do it. Every single person who's at a place where they've had some success has had all of those as well. There's not, they don't have a section for it on LinkedIn, so you don't get to hear about it, but that's 
the norm. We should have a section for that on LinkedIn. All of those things happen to me, and I totally agree. Yeah. Or you know what? There should just be a comment section, <laughs> right, where other people can say, well, let me tell you what, <laughs> what really happened. All right. Terrific. Um, Marcy in South Brunswick. As working parents, how do you manage your time and your responsibilities at home and work? I recently became a manager and a mom, and it is really difficult. Congratulations, Congratulations. on becoming a mother. Um, I have two boys at home, a four-year-old and a one-year-old. Um, had both of them uh, while you know running Vimeo um, and went through a long and journey. And you had an IPO in between. And I had an IPO. And, and I had a long journey to get pregnant. And I went through all the, the, the fertility things. And so I've gone through a lot of it. And I can only imagine. I, I know how hard it is. Um, I think for me, the thing that I've learned that, that's been the most helpful is like, um, acknowledging instead of trying to to believe that I can just do everything like I can just be the very best mom and the very best CEO and that I can just take on more um, it's acknowledging that like again everything comes with trade-offs and trade-offs are okay and the more intentional that I have been about when I am making a trade-off and how the more in control and empowered I have felt about being a working parent so like an example would be um, you know, I know I won't be able to work the same kind of hours that I was working before because I have a child at home or my, my kids at home that I need to see. So I'm going to just acknowledge that something else has to give in my schedule. And in my case, I've made a bunch of decisions about how I want to sort of optimize my life um, to accommodate that. Example, like I, <laughs> I don't work out. I have basically no hobbies. <laughs> I barely see my friends, <laughs> but I sleep nine hours a night. That's a smart trade. Because I, I made, and it was my choice to say, I just, I am a happier, more energized person. I can't bring myself, my best self to work if I'm tired and I don't have energy. And and this is the this is the right trade-off for me, Anjali, in this stage of my life. With little kids? With little kids. Going to, to be, bed early yeah, is when you're sleeping in. Yeah, to be in. able to, 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 to do this. And, and, you know, sometimes it's the, it's a hard trade-off, but just knowing that I made it made a big difference. Um, you know, sa- same with, like, my schedule. You know, I've gotten a lot more, I've just acknowledged, like, I can't do everything. I can't make this event. I can't do this thing. And that's okay. It's okay um, because it's my choice. It's not something that's being thrust upon me. It's not a constraint. It's a choice. And so that for me has been the most helpful thing. And then look, I'll say this, and you need the right support system. Um, nobody is doing this without a serious support system, mm-hmm. whether it's a, a nanny or family or a partner who's willing to take a bunch of the load. You know, f- make sure you find in whatever way, shape, or form you can a support system. It's too hard a job to do without it. From, you seem to be doing a great job from the outside. Yeah. See, behind behind be the scenes, it it's a hot mess. It's good. It's good for people <laughs> to know. Uh, I married an amazing partner, and she's a baller professional too. So we've got this challenge of two ambitious, hardworking professional parents, and it all works unless the tiniest thing goes wrong. It's the day of a trip and a board meeting will also be the day that your kid gets pink eye and sent home from school. And so, look, we found two things. The first is, in the way that you noted, I'm just going to not have hobbies right now. There's a bunch of stuff that it feels like you have to do as a parent that you do not have to do and we just don't do it. We don't do holiday cards. Do you know what a pain in the butt it is to do holiday cards? 
no one notices that they didn't get a holiday card. They only notice if they get a bad holiday card. So we just don't do it. And there's like 50 things like that on the list that it feels like I have to do this, I have to do this. And it's not the big stuff. We focus on the big stuff. And the second is, you know, just like at work, sort of culture and relationships when times are tough get you through, the same is true at home. And so something we've never uh, compromised on is like we go out and have a good time together. And so then when things are stressful, when the system does break a little bit, you know, the, the people who are in charge are two people who really, really enjoy each other's company and, and are in love and that Oh, that's way. very romantic, Mike. I will also just I'm say on, on that point, I'm a You can't tell, but I'm a <laughs> the, On the holiday card thing, as someone who never ever even considered a holiday card, I do think it's a great point, which is a broader one. And I, I'm going to specifically speak about it for mothers because I think it's, I could be wrong, but I think it's even greater for mothers. It's like ditch the mom guilt. Like just ditch the guilt about like I have to do everything perfectly for my child. Otherwise, I don't love I'm not showing my child love. It is so empowering when you're just like, OK, like, you know, like this person made the homemade organic, you know, cupcakes for the birthday and my kid got a, you know, um he got nothing. I just forgot about his birthday. Like, <laughs> seriously, like sometimes like you just give yourself a little bit of grace. And if you can find a way, I think, to just not be guilty. Um, and sometimes like the best way to not be guilty is like drop the ball on something. And then you're like, oh, it, it's OK. Everything is OK. My child is healthy and my child is happy and it will be OK. And that sometimes I think is like that's the thing that can mire us so much is because we're ambitious type A people we want and we love our children and we want to be the best for them. But sometimes you just got to be like, okay, I'm going to drop some balls here and I'm not going to be guilty. Yeah. And remember, it's a, a, you know, there are no solutions, only trade-offs. And the trade-off here is your child maybe didn't get cupcakes at two, but gets to grow up in a home with a mom who's killing it and having great impact and the success and loves work. Like there, it's really hard. There's no, there, there's no substitute for that. So when you remember that that's the trade-off that's being made and it's really good for your kids, it makes it a little easier. This next one's from Juhi in San Francisco. Hello, I am a woman of color with two young daughters and I am eager to see more women in position of power. What do companies have to do to hire and retain and support their future female leaders? Uh, that's a great question, Juhi. Um, I think there's a there's several things that have to happen. I'm cautiously optimistic that the tide is is turning and that some of them are really starting to happen, but we're certainly not there yet. Um, but I think first, I, I do think you have to, you can't be what you can't see. And you have to see people at the top who, it's not about being, you know, a female leader even. It's just seeing that leadership can take different forms and like strong, effective leaders don't all have to talk a certain way and look a certain way and dress a certain way. I started my career in investment banking. I was the only woman on my company, which was a small bank. And like, I remember looking up and then I remember like you'd read the Wall Street Journal and you'd see and you I would just think like, there's no way I'm going to be that person. I don't think that way and talk that way. It's not who I am. And I think the more we have leaders of all kinds, of all genders, like just showing up in different, diverse, authentic ways, the more we all believe that 
that leadership doesn't have one look and 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 doesn't have one flavor and therefore we can all see ourselves in that position. I think that's a big one and I think that that there is more of an intentionality now to showcase and highlight leader different leaders and I see a lot more leaders including myself feeling comfortable just being ourselves on, you know, big stages. I'll take the opportunity to make sure that the guys who are listening to the podcast understand that there are a bunch of very subtle ways um, that women are treated differently at work that you don't notice until you know to look for it. And if you start going to meetings and looking for who talks over whom and who has a tendency to say something that someone else already said but make it sound like their idea, it's like women are on the wrong end of that trade so frequently. And I've taken guys I work with aside and given the speech and seen their behavior change overnight uh, in ways that make the office a place that's more inclusive and more hospitable and makes it a little bit easier for, not that it's easy, but it makes it a little bit easier for uh, women to thrive at work. Um, I married a wonderful woman who's made me sensitive to a lot of that stuff. Um, and if you're not, uh, Joanne Lipman has a really good book called That's What She Said. And it just chronicles all these ways um, that you may not be noticing that women are being treated differently and unfairly at work and you personally can fix it. Anjali, this has been amazing. You're an inspiration. You're a force for good. It has been wonderful hanging out with you. I'm, I'm sure our listeners enjoyed it just as much as I did. Thank you, Mike. It's great to hang out, and I hope it was helpful for everyone. Based on the questions and feedback I get from this audience, a lot of folks out there are at the stage of their life that Anjali and I find ourselves in, which is we're being parents and we're being leaders and we're trying to advance our careers and have impact with our work. And I hope you took as much inspiration from Anjali's comments today as I did. She's a terrific mom and an amazing leader. And she's having impact on millions of creators around the world with her work. And she's able to do it all by not trying to do it all. You heard her talking about getting enough sleep and putting in the work and being there for her kids, but, you know, not having hobbies. And she and I are perfectly aligned on not putting the time in to producing uh, holiday cards. And for those of you who are out there at this stage of your lives as well, I hope you realize that making these trade-offs is not only okay, it's the right thing to do. It's smart. It has the most impact you can have with your life. You're allowed to find some of these shortcuts. You might not be the one who bakes the best cupcakes for the bake sale, but you can be the one who's there for your kids when they need you, who's a role model, and who's blossoming in your career. That's a pretty good balance. And Anjali was an amazing example of it today, so I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Remember, I love to hear from everybody who enjoys the podcast. You can track me down at Mike Stibe on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can also, anytime you want, leave us a voicemail with your question for future episodes and our upcoming guest. The number is 213-419-0596. Just leave us a voicemail and you might find yourself on the next podcast. That's 213-419-0596. Your questions help to drive these episodes forward. And I really appreciate you calling in. I want to thank Jen, Meg, Jada, Matt, and the whole team at Blue Duck Media for pulling this all together. Dylan and Christopher at iHeart and Ben and the team at William Morris Endeavor for all their support. Office Hours is a production of Blue Duck Media and distributed by iHeart Radio. 
Have a great day, guys. I hope to see you next week. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.